The Prayers of Many. Chapter 6. Family. Corporate prayer works with family dynamics. Ephesians 3, 14-17 says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When we pray together, we gather as to a father around a warm fire, listening, talking and being together. Isaiah one eighteen says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. As we pray together, God reveals his heart to his children. He counsels us on family matters, not as servants who do not know his master's business, rather as we are, co-heirs with Christ. We are those who have a claim to the divine promises of scripture and share in his nature. We have, through Christ, the family likeness. We pray from who we are as well as from what we are not. We may pray out of longing to be someone or something that we should also pray because in Christ we are now someone. We are now a child of the King. This is all because salvation is relational. Through receiving Christ, God has become our Father. Our relationships with his people are family relationships. We are God's children, not his employees. Ephesians 3.15 says, From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This family dynamic should flavour all aspects of our corporate prayer life as this chapter seeks to explore. There are many verses in the New Testament instructing us as to how we should be with one another. Love, encourage, admonish, care for, etc. It should not take a programmed corporate prayer meeting to develop a lifestyle of prayer for and with one another. The spontaneous buzz of pre- or post-meeting conversations, refreshments mingled with one and twos praying together, is a culture to be prized. The way we pray together is important. When we receive prayer, we need an open receptive stance inwardly receiving from the Lord. When we pray for others, we are serving them, not imposing an agenda on them or trying to score prayer-answered points. Let us strive for a relational culture where a church family does life together and in the midst of that we find it is natural to pray for each other as we would to share a cup of coffee. We don't want to trivialise prayer but to normalise it. Even as I am writing this, a few messages have come through concerning immediate things that were of concern. I stopped typing, updated my wife and together we, for a few minutes, brought these situations to the Lord. It is not about the length of time we pray, but making it an instinctive habit in everything to pray. Knowing we are coming to the one who does more than all we ask of imagine is a great boost to any praying soul. Specific examples are given in scripture of this kind of family dynamic regarding the ups and downs of life, as well as when we are facing specific issues of sickness and affected by sin. James 5.14 Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And Romans 12:15, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I can recall numbers of occasions through the years when a troubled heart has led me to discuss the matter with trusted brothers in the church. Somehow, talking things through and then praying together is a very powerful way of getting breakthrough. Confessing and being transparent and accountable to another is freeing. These issues are not always obvious sin, 
but can just as likely be concern, temptation, worry, or struggling to see a way through complex issues. I have both sought and given help in this way over the years. The difference after such interactions can be radically liberating. I learned how to preach with a little classroom help from watching and listening to good preaching. I learned how to pray by watching and listening to the saints pray. Here I learned about simple childlike faith that knew God, knew his heart and knew how to gain a hearing. The best way to raise a church to be a praying community is by seizing every opportunity to practice together. More than just the prayer meeting. Of course, corporate prayer isn't just about a church prayer meeting. It's also about praying in almost every context with at least one other person. In that light, it's worth remembering that praying in marriages and as families and with friends is also corporate prayer. It is, after all, praying together. Marriage is, amongst other things, a context for partnership. We do things together, learn together, achieve together and overcome together. Setting up home, learning how to love each other in all respects, sexually, emotionally, practically and spiritually. Yes, it is not always the case that spiritual life together flows with ease. It came as something as a surprise to me at first, but it's more common than I thought as I hear of couples who found it initially embarrassing to read the Bible together and pray together when you're not used to doing it. Praying together is vital. Husbands need to take the lead. Initiative and responsibility in this, I think. It's not that the husband is more spiritual or needs to lead at all, far from it, but much more that men who are passive in spiritual matters in the home are a significant blockage to the healthy spiritual development of everyone living in the home. Yet conversely, a husband or father taking an active role is hugely releasing to everyone in the family. We have found over the years that setting realistic rhythms can help. For example, on a day off, Sue and I will as a rule in the middle of the morning read a daily reflection from Spurgeon's checkbook of the Bank of Faith and then pray for people, issues, ourselves, the week ahead, give thanks for the week past and so on. It is quite low-key and not always of great length, but it is a rhythm that has anchored prayer for us. We then supplement this spontaneously through the week as it seems to fit and flow. My advice to any married couple is, no matter how short and simple, just to do something as a weekly rhythm and stick to it. Rhythm and helpful traditions are not bad things. Giving thanks for meals together is such an easy place to start. Every New Year's Day we eat a mid-morning brunch and give thanks to God for the past year, entrusting ourselves to him for the one to come. Simple rules of life can seem to me quite important to develop in this age of quick change and high mobility. There is something about pregnancy and childbirth that is rich imagery for prayer. The bride and the bridegroom image of Christ and his church is strong. For us as followers of Christ, we are pregnant with his promises for his church. In corporate prayer, we can nurture these promises. We, as his church, are pregnant with them. We are parenting a child born of promise. Isaiah 66, 7-9 says, Before she was in labour, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a lamb be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labour, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? Says the Lord. Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb? Says your God. There is rich imagery for us to take hold of the things God has promised and learn in prayer that gestation period can be different to what we imagine for the birth of God's promises. But as with pregnancy, when life is there, it will come to fruition in due time. 
Prayer is very much like watching and waiting for that which we know is to be birthed, because God conceives it. For a church to get hold of this and not let God go until he fulfills his promise is a very powerful dynamic. Every church or family of churches should be pregnant with promises from God and express and nurture this confinement with corporate prayer until that which is promised is brought to birth in its due time. Pregnancy fills the family with expectancy. It's an electric time of anticipation. Prayer meetings should be filled with recounting to God the promises both in his word and that prophetically we believe he has made to us. Dull duty does not describe the anticipation of new birth. If prayer meetings become full of repetitive prayers and lacklustre atmosphere, it is most likely because we have forgotten we are pregnant with God's promises and purposes. New life is born not because we are waiting for it, but because there is life being formed in the womb. Waiting does not create it. Waiting anticipates and celebrates what God has made and promised. Raising Praying Children Parents raise their children in spiritual things. However, children can and should learn to be church and part of that is learning how to pray together. Teaching children how to pray and how to hear God from a young age is important. People know God fundamentally through revelation, not information. That is why age or mental faculties are not ultimately the defining factor in whether someone can have a saving relationship with God. Children learn behaviour, values and worldview primarily from their parents. Sunday school or a youth group can play a vital role in the spiritual development of a child or young person, a role that truly introduces them to the special influence of the whole family of God. Even if their own family are not believers, they can find a spiritual family to help nurture them in the things of God. However, it is the parents' prime responsibility to raise their children in the things of the Lord. I was deeply impressed by how Jimmy and Emma's family cultivated prayer and specifically thanksgiving through a time of serious illness. I will let Emma explain what they did. I first saw the idea to fill a jar with prayers of thankfulness on Facebook and decided we should give it a go. But before I had even written the first one, we found out that Jimmy had cancer. I wondered whether we should still do it. We decided we would, and for us it was kind of changed from just putting good things that happened in the week to milestones in Jim's treatment too. I made sure I only had a small piece of paper and I usually put two to three things down. I tried to include normal stuff, like Noah getting gold cards and reading awards at school and Jake's different achievements over the year as well as always finding the positive to write about Jim's progress. My favourite ones were the days out and short times away we managed as a family. They seemed to mean so much more as Jim was too ill a lot of the time to be with us. When we were going to read them all, out at the start of 2018, everyone was really excited. As I had been the one to write them down, the boys had no idea what they said, although we counted them before reading began and found I had missed some weeks, so the boys all wrote some of their own memories from the year which was really lovely. We took it in turns to read and it was amazing to realise all the things we had still managed to do what we had been through and how we had made it through the year, mostly with a positive attitude. You can sometimes lose heart when times are tough, but I know God was with us all the way and it helped me to write these things weekly to help reinforce that. We are filling the jar again this year, but with a very different story. We read in Joshua 4.6 that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? When Joshua and Israel crossed the Jordan, they gathered stones into a pile to act as a stimulus for coming generations to recall and rely on the goodness and faithfulness of God. 
Emma's jar of thankfulness is a modern-day pile of stones. Eventually, the pile of stones must have been quite noticeable on the landscape. Thankfulness is like that. The more we do it, the more we see it. There is no guarantee that simply through us doing the right things, our children will know the Lord. Yet it certainly is the case that, if we've instructed and lived out our faith well, they will develop a sincere respect for that faith, and we trust that the work of the Holy Spirit will then find good soil for the gospel to take root in their own hearts. It's tragic when through bad parenting spiritually, a child's heart becomes like stony ground or weed-covered soil that makes gospel impact more difficult. Why make it more difficult than it needs to be? Things like going to church every week model commitment and devotion to the Lord. Praying around the dinner table demonstrates that God is central to family life. Praying and reading the Bible together and discussing spiritual things models that whatever else we has, has gone on in the day, our anchor, our foundation, is the Word of God. I used to read to my son Sam's children versions of biographies of Christian men and women who had done great things for God. We used to watch some programs on TV if it had content with a moral or spiritual lesson that could be talked through, good or bad, we would discuss it and maybe pray together at bedtime. Worship and music were part of life. Don't get the wrong idea, our family life wasn't one long worship or prayer time. There was more football in the back garden than praying, but the thing is that prayer was woven into normal life. We also shouldn't discount children from participating in church prayer meetings. One feature of what I believe is a present and new move of the Holy Spirit concerning corporate prayer in the West is how engaged children and young people have been with prayer. It took me by surprise. Lots of creativity is needed, finding different ways to pray and express prayer. Interestingly, often adults quite like doing these things as well. If truth be told, children can teach adults much about prayer. Jesus illustrated true faith by likening it to the simple trust of a child. Childlike faith is precious. We must take care never to lose that simplicity, to let cynicism, disappointment or complexity quash simple trusting of God. Children teach us that true corporate prayer does not have to be complex or long. Fellowship together with God is not time dependent. It is just learning to know when we have fellowshiped with him, engaged with him, and when he says we are done with that bit of the day, we can now move on. Children seem to move effortlessly from prayer to play and back again, while adults often seem as if they need to make it feel religious for it to be authentic. I'll let Jodie share with you how she helped children engage in corporate prayer at our church in Lowestoft. I've found that as I've invested more time in prayer personally and grown in my confidence, I've found it easier to step out and lead the children and young people in this area, and I've also found that they follow easier rather than me dragging them behind. We have observed when praying with children and youth in both school and church settings that our perspective of their issues have to be kept in check. As adults, we can have a tendency to look upon the prayer requests of our children and young people as trivial. We see things from our grown-up perspective and filter it through our lens, forgetting that they're just as important to God as our issues are. In our Sunday morning group for years 7-9 to youth, we had a session of praying for our Goliaths, those things in our lives that feel insurmountable. The session had been great, and there had been a crescendo to a response calling the young people to write down their Goliaths and place them in our giant outline mast tape on the floor. After a few minutes of the young people scribbling away and laying their prayer points down, we stood around our giant to pray together, and I began to silently read everything they had written. Within minutes, I went from being frustrated at their trivial prayer points to being convicted by the Holy Spirit of my thought patterns. 
Who are you to say they are trivial? I felt God asked me. Do I say that to your prayer point? A huge lesson was learned then and there. What seems like a David to me can be a Goliath to someone else and vice versa. My personal journey of identity, of learning more of who I am and how God sees me has helped me to radically shift my gaze from what people say goes to what he says goes. And that's a liberating place to be because not only does it free me to see my prayer life as valid when I pray in the way that makes me tick, for me that's writing prayers down, but it gives me permission and confidence to lead others there too. I've found that children and young people are ignited to pray when they realise who they are in him and that they are built to do it. Some love writing, others dancing, drawing, some painting, others modelling with Play-Doh, some playing instruments, others talking, some shouting, others singing. When these things help us to communicate with God, they are prayer languages and they are valid and can, and I dare say should, have space in our church lives. Our experiences of our Enough Prayer events are that our children and youth want to be involved. They're passionate about praying for their friends and our communities. They don't want to be seen as a separate entity to the rest of the church. It is a myth that children and young people don't want to mix with older generations. They love their church family and the bridge between generations is easily built when we just do church together as a family, encouraging our children and youth to bring words and pray in our meetings, speaking directly to them from the front of the service, inviting them to read things out for us, asking them to lead a prayer section. Those enough events where our children and youth have got involved with leading a section have been my favourite. Faith is fuelled when the adult church see our young people passionate about what they believe and about who they are praying for. I would encourage the nurturing of spiritual mothers and fathers in Christ. We all need them. Even if you consider yourself to be a mother or father in the faith to others, remember even fathers need fathers and mothers need mothers. I will intentionally cultivate time to visit my fathers in the faith, even stay over to get some unhurried prayer time together. I have the joy of seeing a number of younger men around me emerge into fruitful callings. I'm surrounded by dear friends, co-laborers in the work. One of my joys is to arrange a prayer walk day with a team member or younger brother. We meet up for breakfast and catch up. I have a very nice riverside walk to an old church not far from my hometown. The walk out to the church gives time for establishing what needs prayer. The walk back is spent praying. Creative ways of praying with couples, older people, younger people, etc. should be a high priority for all leaders. A walk and a prayer is often more fruitful than sitting in an office discussing. It's all too easy to let pressing matters push us into discussion rather than prayer. It takes courage, leadership and an awareness of just how powerful prayer is to resist that and prioritise prayer even if it means that we run out of time to discuss something. Corporate prayer will never leave us poorer for time invested in it. Praying together takes some planning and investment, but this is not to make it a programme of church life. When we turn everything into a programme with a department, we specialise and prayer is for everyone. When we turn prayer into a programme, we become concerned with efficiency, productivity, effectiveness, and we start to measure the quant and quantify. We are the family of God, and even though we have important work to attend to in prayer, we must never forget that we come as family and behave as family before and with our loving Heavenly Father.